Four months after Ginny Brandt's mother died from breast cancer, she heard the words that no one wants to hear, you have cancer. The next week, the news got worse. It's aggressive. But even further, the next news drove her to her knees. And that was, it appears cancer has spread to your lymph nodes and other parts of your body. How could Jenny accept these words when she was a health nut? With someone like her with no risk factors or genetics that had this grim diagnosis was almost more than she could deal with at the moment. But this is actually what drove Jenny on a quest to dig deeper. Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Jenny Dent Brandt is a speaker and writer who grew up in the halls of power in Washington, D.C. She has battled cancer. She's also served on the front lines of American culture as a counselor, educator, wellness advocate, and adjunct professor. Brandt's award-winning book, which we will definitely be talking a lot about today, Finding True Freedom from the White House to the World was endorsed by Chuck Colson and featured in many TV and media interviews. Welcome, Jenny. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. All right. Where are you from? I love that accent. I am from the golden corner of South Carolina. Oh, and she just put it, you put it on a little bit there, didn't you? I did. <laughs> All right. As a teenager, you survived Watergate trials with your dad and your faith had to become front and center. So how did that experience give you the strength to deal with your cancer diagnosis later in life? Well, to be perfectly honest, I was a mere 16 years old when I gave my life to Christ through a ministry called Young Life. And it was six months after that, that my life as I knew it fell apart. Not only was my father uh, zeroed in on for the Watergate trials, along with Chuck Colson, and they said on national television that, that the two of them had ordered it. Uh, my mother before that had already gone into a deep depression, and we were already dealing with that. So everything I knew in life was crumbling beneath my feet. But I look back and realize that God intervened six mm. months before working in my heart and bringing people into my life to teach me the power of prayer 
and mentoring me in his word. And it was the power of prayer and his word and that closeness with him and realizing I couldn't do anything about my mother's circumstances. I couldn't do anything about Watergate, but I could give it to him. And what's so amazing is when you look at that time period, I look back and realize that God went so far beyond my prayers. I just wanted my dad not to go to prison because that would leave me in charge of the family with my mother hospitalized. And God did so much more. He brought both of my parents through that. My mother to complete healing from her past background. She had a horrible childhood growing up. And he brought my father not only past the prison gates where he didn't go to prison, but he took him into full-time ministry where he ministered around the world for another 25 years in ministry. So I learned that when times get tough, you turn it over to God and you depend on him. And I learned that so many times in life that when cancer came, the first thing we did was my husband laid his hands on me and prayed for guidance and for healing. And we realized it was going to be a journey that would take us to the deepest roots of our faith. And it did. But had I not been through other previous circumstances in life in difficult times, I probably wouldn't have known how to handle this. Well, that's a testimony in itself. We could probably stop right there and it would be an incredible encouragement from just what you said. And you you just opened up all so many doors and I appreciate that. So let's let's go a little deeper. When you first heard those doctor's words then, you have cancer, walk us through the initial reaction and what your plan was and how to deal with it. Okay. It was just four months after my mother had died from breast cancer. I was still grieving her loss when I got the words, but right before I got the words, I found the tumor myself because I woke up in the middle of the night after doing a Charleston Cooper river bridge run My ring got tangled in my nightie. And as my sister would tell you, that was the providence of God that I found the lump myself. And so I didn't think it was anything. And when the doctor told me it was cancer, I was in shock because I was known as a health nut. I was eating healthier than the average American. I exercised and walked three and four times a week. I just wasn't the type to get cancer. And of course, I was a Christian who didn't drink and smoke and had a a good a good faith life, you know? And so nothing about it made sense. But then the next week, that news got worse when he told me that cancer was aggressive. But the worst news came when I met with the surgeon and he shared the results of the MRI with me, which told even more. And he said, your tumor has planted other tumors and it appears to be in your lymph nodes and all over your body. And I was like, what? I don't even feel bad. And so I asked him to show me that MRI because I just didn't believe it was my MRI. I wanted to check all these things out. And he flashed it up on a life-size screen. And the shock and horror of it was part of the analogy in my book to the Wizard of Oz. It looked like a tornado had invaded my body. I just struggled. I couldn't deal with it, but it forced me to get a second 
opinion. And that was the best thing anyone can do in a serious medical condition. Your insurance pays for it, so go do it. And so I flew to Chicago to Cancer Treatment Centers of America to see what their doctors, radiologists and surgeons, Mm. said Mm. about my MRI and all my results. And I would get a different view up there because they would verify that we don't know yet that it's spread all over your body. And what we're seeing on that MRI, we believe to be inflammation caused from a biopsy that literally could have killed you. Oh, my word. So the biopsy went went bad, and it was not necessarily cancer spread all over my body. We would find that out from the surgery. So that gave me some hope that it wasn't. But all of this happening to me, that sent me on that quest to figure out, number one, what caused cancer, an aggressive cancer, in someone who I considered myself to be a health nut. And number two, if I've got to go through all these treatments, what can I do to get through the treatments with less side effects and help my doctors to beat this cancer? So what did you do? I read about 50 books by doctors, nutritionists, health nuts, research scientists, I attended cancer conferences with medical doctors. I listened to doctors lecture online. There are these summits, and I would attend like five or six a year that might have 30 different doctors talking about cancer and the latest research and what was causing it. And I mean, I just I just couldn't stop learning. And I went to the medical research and just Googled things that can help prevent cancer, things that can help you get through the cancer journey. And I was beginning to learn that there were things I could do to lessen the side effects of the chemotherapy, to get through the surgery, to um, help me make all the decisions that had to be made. Because my whole goal was, when you go through chemotherapy, I had the worst chemotherapy known to mankind. And in order to get through it, there are four outcomes. And the first one is that you get through it, it kills the cancer with minimal side effects. Well, that's the outcome everyone wants. And the other ones can all end up in death or disability. And so I wanted option number one, and I was determined to get it. And what I discovered was, yes, there are things. The patient plays a key role in the cancer journey. Uh. Yes, the doctor has their job to do, and we, we couldn't make it without that. But the cancer patient's attitude, the cancer patient's lifestyle, what you dwell on, you know, how you use your faith to manage your emotions, all these things were going to make a difference in my journey. And I began to put them, you know, imply them in my life as quickly as I could so that I would have a better outcome. Now, was there a conflict in your research between what you learned from the pharmaceutical industry, the medical industry, and the nutritional side? And if there was, how did you determine, you know, which way you were going to go in a particular circumstance? I didn't actually have a conflict with that because the cancer hospital that I was treated at in Chicago, Cancer Treatment Centers of America, put a nutritionist on my case and a naturopathic doctor. Mm. They were not in conflict with that. But I will tell you, after my fourth chemo, when I saw a doctor locally, oncologist, to get a second opinion because my chemo was so harsh and I wanted to see if I could lighten it up and... 
And that doctor looked at me and said, I have never seen anyone go through this chemo regimen. And after the fourth chemo, you walked two miles this morning and you're smiling, even though you're bald to the bat. And that doctor asked me what I was doing differently. And when I told him, he started taking notes. Wow. And I didn't realize it, but he ended up researching what I was telling him. And he convinced the hospital system in Greenville, South Carolina, to start a cancer prevention and wellness center that would help cancer patients through the journey and help people prevent cancer. And it would also incorporate research. And now he is head of that part of the cancer center. I did not find a lot of conflict, but I do know there are doctors that think nutrition doesn't have anything to do with cancer. Right. It has a lot to do with cancer and mental health and many diseases today. We are what we eat. And medical science and just science in general and research is starting to prove how valuable food is, especially eating the right foods, whole foods that God made in the Garden of Eden and gave to Adam and Eve and for us to eat. We've gotten away from that to processed foods, and it's not doing us any favors and creating a lot of chronic diseases. There are not many doctors that would deny it. They just weren't trained in that. That is, nutrition is not their field. They just got a little bit of training in it. But the younger doctors today, in general, are getting more training in nutrition. But you can't expect your doctor to be a nutritionist and be an oncologist. You know, they can't be a specialist in everything. So the important thing is that they might refer you to a nutritionist. And I believe it's a very valuable part of any health journey. And I think what you touched on right there is that you need to take the reins yourself, which has been evident through what you've already shared. You have to do your own research and give your own input. I mean, look at what happened as a result of you sharing with that doctor. That's amazing. And it's amazing that he was open-minded enough to accept what you were telling him and to see the results. So, yes, that was, I thank you for, for sharing that. Now, well, I've seen more ahead. hospitals starting to do this. And, you know, there are other hospitals in the country that are starting to have these integrative services provided for their patients. And I think it's a good way to go because you always need to look at the root cause and what started it to begin with. And my whole deal was, if I got this cancer, I need to find out why I got it. Because even if my doctors can kill it, what am I going to do to prevent it from coming back? Excellent. So the why That's was right. important. To me. So what did you learn? Oh, I learned a lot through the school of hard knocks. I did not realize that your emotions can have such an impact on your health. I was caretaking 15 years before I got cancer for all four parents, my father with Alzheimer's disease, uh, my mother with cancer, and both of my in-laws. And it was, it's not that I was the only caretaker. The point is I was heavily involved, and as was my sister, with, with my parents. And so I was living that rat raced life and barely having a break from grieving, 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 Alzheimer's being the worst thing that I went through right, with, right. with my dad. And he graduated to heaven, and we were grateful for that and for all God did in his life. But boy, was it a grief tunnel I couldn't get out of. So long-term grief, you know, short-term grief is normal. When someone passes, you're going to grieve for a year or two. I was grieving for 15 years between all four parents and the diseases and things that they went through. 
And I realize now that that can suppress your immune system and open the door to things such as cancer. And even though I was walking and exercising and doing some good things to get through the stress, it was interrupting my sleep cycle. And unbeknownst to me, it was having an impact on my immune system. So I learned that emotions, you know, these uh, negative emotions, that if you get caught up in them, it can damage your health. But I also learned that many of the positive emotions actually promote healing in our body. So the more you can dwell on you know, the word of God and the promises in the Bible and meditate through prayer and gratitude in the middle of a cancer journey. Yes, ma'am. Amen. The more you're going to promote healing in your body when all those chemicals are tearing your immune system down in order to kill the cancer. So as the doctor is having to tear down my immune system to kill the cancer, I am building it up with every resource I can find, and that was a large part of the secret to my success of getting through all these treatments. You know, when I finished, Carol, the chemotherapy, my doctors were hooting and hollering and calling me their rock star cancer patient because all my blood work levels were back within Uh. six weeks in the normal ranges, and they said for the chemotherapy I was given, it can take two years, up to five years. Some people don't ever come back to normal ranges. And so I realized that what I did actually did work, and it made a difference. So tell us a little bit about what you actually did that someone else could do as well. Well, some of the things I did were very simple. For example, hydration is key. Proper hydration with water is key to every cell, every organ, and every system in our body. And it's good to prevent cancer and diseases to begin with. But when you're in the cancer journey and you're being given chemotherapy, you want to increase hydration. That's simple. It's inexpensive. Anyone can do it. It lessens the side effects and helps guarantee that that chemo gets to every cancer cell. So, and that all your systems are working properly. You know, you don't want your digestive system to get constipated because then the chemo will back up in you and send you into sepsis. So all these things work to help you get through that cancer journey and anybody can do that. Anybody can can hydrate. Another thing I learned that really surprised me is that deep sleep is when our body detoxes It's also when our body repairs and heals itself and it boosts our immune system. So you've got to get into deep sleep for that melatonin that God made in your body to go off and fight cancer and build your immune system. So deep sleep is critical to getting through the cancer journey and again, preventing cancer to begin with. Just there's just so many simple things. I've just given you two things that don't cost a dime. That's right. You know? That's right. And these are these are important things. And another thing I learned, I was always an exerciser, you know, who walked three, four, maybe five times a week, several miles a day. But I took it to a whole new level in that after I had my first surgery with a hundred stitches, I wanted to get all those tubes out of my body, especially that catheter. And the nurse said if I could walk four rounds of the hospital floor the next morning, he would remove the catheter. Well, I walked two miles that next morning. 
And not only did they remove the catheter, and I felt great, but they removed all those breast drainage tubes that my husband was supposed to babysit for two to three weeks. So that was a victory in Jesus. And the exercise of walking, now I don't advocate people doing it if you don't have the energy and the balance. I had the energy, I had the balance. But my doctors were just... They were like, you not believe what you've done for your body because you were able to walk and lessen your blood clots and pump the anesthesia out of your body and jumpstart all your organs. And I mean, they said, you know, you just not believe what you have done to help with your own healing by doing this. And then I get to chemotherapy and I don't want chemotherapy. Who wants chemotherapy? Right. So I was concerned about it. So for anxiety and for, you know, the stress of dealing with it. I walked two miles before chemo and two miles after chemo, and then two to three miles every day in between. I get to the end of chemotherapy, and this research comes out in Australia, and my doctor showed it to me because they said, we've just never seen someone go through chemotherapy like you did. No one told me to walk. No one told me to move. Interesting. I did it because of stress. And then this Australian research, 30 entities came together in Australia to say that exercise is the best thing a cancer patient can do. And then an MD Anderson study with mice showed that the mice who had moderate exercise routines during chemotherapy did better with the side effects and targeted their um, cancer cells better with the chemotherapy. So now doctors are starting to tell patients, uh, move. Don't go home and be sedentary. It's the worst thing you can do after you get chemotherapy. Now, if you're sick to your stomach and you can't move, then maybe you would sit up and move your legs, but you might not be able to walk yet. But you do what you can when you can because movement is key to your own body recovering and healing from that and then pumping your lymphatic system, which is the part of your immune system and the only system in your body that works only when you move. So this sedentary lifestyle helps to cause cancer to begin with, and it doesn't help you in the cancer journey when you need to pump those chemicals out of your body and sweat them out as well. So that lymphatic system must be moved, and the more you can move, the better you're going to do. Excellent advice. Absolutely excellent advice. Now let's back it up previous to having a cancer diagnosis. What about prevention? My guess is a lot of what you already shared also helps in prevention. Is that correct? The same eight steps in my book that got me through the cancer journey and prevent recurrence also prevent cancer to begin with. And Carol, my big goal in writing this book, yes, it's to help cancer patients through the journey and to prevent recurrence, but it's to prevent it in the first place, we've got one in two people of the generation born today will have cancer in their lifetime, and that's if the rates don't go up anymore. In 1930, it used to be one in 30 people got cancer, now one in two for today's generation. That oh is word. far too much. And so I've come to the conclusion that if one in 3,000 people have a house fire, and we have a plan for that, we certainly need to have a plan to prevent disease and cancer for our own home and our own family. And that starts with regular checkups with your doctor. But it starts with implementing these lifestyle changes and not waiting for that doctor to say, oh, you have cancer or you have dementia or you have a chronic or an autoimmune condition. 
it's important that we look at these things first and look at what God says in the Bible about how we're to live. We're to eat plants. I'm not saying we have to eat all plants, but God provided them for our healing. So we need to eat more plants. You know, we need to use food as medicine. We need to get exercise. You know, God told us to take care of our temple. And we're not doing such a hot job because I certainly learned there was a lot of things I could improve. That's right. Now, is this what you address in your first book, Finding True Freedom from the White House to the World? Was that your cancer story as well? No, it was not because that was way earlier. In that book, I address how a teenage girl's prayers at 16 years old in a desperate situation, the book shows how God answered my prayers and went far beyond them, taking my dad and I from worldliness and politics and the modeling field to missions and serving God. And so that book has really nothing to do with cancer, but it has to, it shows my faith at a young age and how it grew exponentially through hardship and trials. Okay, that. I appreciate you differentiating there. We're going to talk about your second book as well. But we, first of all, are going to take a 30-second break. Carol Graham would like to show you the path from misery to miraculous triumph in her fast-paced memoir, Battered Hope. She relates her determination to succeed as someone who experienced one horrendous nightmare after another, gang raped and left for dead, loss of a child, husband falsely imprisoned, and cancer. Nothing could break her tenacity or faith. No matter what you face, heartache, loss, suffering, or injustice, Carol will illustrate how she became a victor the same way you can. The secret is to never, ever give up hope. Order your copy at Amazon or batteredhope.blogspot.com about your second book because this is the one where I'm assuming is this your cancer story yes okay definitely and that is entitled unleash your god-given healing eight steps to prevent and survive cancer and also it won a golden scroll award and what else do I have here you it's been featured on CBN's healthy live show and CTN's homekeepers Atlanta live etc that's pretty exciting. Your message is getting out. So yes, tell us and it about also that. Uh, two more awards at the Blue Ridge Writers oh, Conference. Oh, okay. Second place for nonfiction in the Director's Choice Award, and it won a Sela second place for um, for memoirs. Okay, tell us about it. It's the book I never wanted to write. Let me be <laughs> honest. I mean, you ask, you know, how did it affect my, my faith when I found out I had cancer? To be perfectly honest, I was just shocked. I was floored. And I went up for my first surgery ahead of my husband in Chicago. And I asked to meet with the chaplain because I just didn't understand. And I'm crying out to him. And he looks at me and he said, Jenny, I know you have healthy habits and it didn't stop you from getting cancer but it will help you through the journey. Don't throw away your healthy habits, you know. And then he said, Jenny, you're a speaker. You're an author. Just consider this a gift from God for you to help other people. Hmm. And I looked at him and I said, Chaplain Sewell, I do not want this gift. (laughs) And that's the third time someone had told me, Jenny, consider this a gift, but he just laid it out on the table and he said, you know, you could, I could see your next book and 
on the first page it says this is the book I never wanted to write and guess what's on the first page of Unleash Your <laughs> oh let's see I think I can guess <laughs> oh who I mean it's it's humorous it's just humorous but that was prophetic but I did not want to talk about cancer and I certainly didn't want to write about it I did not want to be the cancer queen and I just you know was very stubborn and obstinate about it and now and then God worked on my heart because when I researched all this information and I realized, oh, my goodness, so many people are making the same mistakes I made, just everyday mistakes that are contributing to cancer in so many diseases. And I said, now I've got to write the book, you know, so learning that and not wanting someone to go through what I went through gave me the motivation to write the book that I never wanted to write. How long is this, did this whole process take from cancer diagnosis to, let's say, writing your book? And how long ago was your clean bill of health? Well, the cancer journey began in 2015. In April, I found the lump. I've actually finished treatment this past December. It was almost a six-year journey of surgeries and immunotherapy and chemotherapy and then an estrogen blocking pill which is given to 80% of the women who have an estrogen you know have an estrogen fed breast cancer and so that pill has certain side effects but you can live a pretty normal life mm. and take it mm-hmm. but i had to constantly fight the bone density problem so i had to up my uh, my exercise again to weight bearing exercises and different things that would help hold my bone density because that pill causes you to lose it. So it was quite a journey, but the book itself, I did two to three years of research and then I began writing the book and going through the publication process. So it's been a good five years. One of the things that I'm hearing from you is that even though you went through all these emotions and all this bad news, you really never gave up hope. I believe that even though there may have only been a thread of hope initially, but you built on that. And you you are such an inspiration for people listening in this audience today to those who may have gone through something like you have or are in the middle of it or know somebody that no matter how bad the diagnosis is, and how bad the future can seem to be, you hang on to that hope and it can turn things around. I love that line when you said, negative emotions help to drive cancer and positive emotions promote healing. Kind of in a summary, would you address what I just shared there? Well, you know, At first, I was starting to lose hope when they told me, you know, stage four aggressive cancer uh, means they even told me at one point, we can just extend your life. And so I was looking at, well, you know, I'm a witness for the Lord and all he's done for me, whether I live or whether I die. And I started to get my affairs in order in the event that I died. But I realized that I was going to go out praising God and glorifying him and I had to deal with that. And my hope came when I realized, you know, maybe it wasn't stage four, number one. And then I realized I could have a part in my own healing with lifestyle changes that the doctor had his job to do, but I certainly 
could be my own best advocate and put some lifestyle changes in place that would help my prognosis. I did not realize until I researched that gratitude promotes healing Hmm. in the body, that meditation and, you know, praising God, resting in his word, things like singing his praises, concentrating on Bible verses, laughing. I mean, all these positive emotions, just having hope because you know that whatever happens, God's going to use it for the kingdom and he's going to use it for your good. And sometimes cancer is your ticket to heaven. And for the Christian, that's not the worst thing in the world. You know what I mean? We don't want to go through the process sometimes, but heaven is a wonderful place that we should look forward to. So I realized as a Christian, even if I died, there was going to be gain. And so I just learned to live one day at a time and dwell on all the positive things and everything I had to be thankful for in the middle of trying to stop my own life from extinguishing. You know, I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death and I'm looking at the good things. And that's what Paul tells us to do in Philippians. When we are in the trials of our lives, pray about everything give thanks in everything, and concentrate on all the good things, not all the negatives. Because there were so many negatives, we had to start laughing at signing the papers that said lung damage, heart damage, um, kidney damage, and including death. I mean, the chemotherapy pages I had to sign every time I had chemotherapy were enough to scare you to death. Wow. And, And all those things can happen. And But the thing is, if you dwell on that, you know, that's right. Chemotherapy is probably not going to go as well. If you take a good Christian book to read or take Christian music or a good Christian film to watch while you're doing chemotherapy for eight hours and you're laughing and you're praising God instead of, oh, poor, poor, pitiful me, I'm probably going to die from this and it's going to hurt. And you don't concentrate on that. And that's what Paul told us. He was in a prison cell. He prays. He gives it to God. He looks for the good. He gives thanks, knowing God's going to use it. And that puts your body in a healing mode rather than a not-so-healing mode. Well, I really appreciate you coming on to never, ever, ever, ever give up hope because you are the poster girl for the show. That is definitely the story that we needed to hear and that I know many in the audience needed to hear today. Thank you so much. And I can't wait to share your story. And is there anything else? A parting word that you would like to say. And is there anything that's in the future that you might be doing that people should be watching out for? I do have a cancer prevention and wellness blog at my website, www.jennybrant.com. You can sign up for the uh, blog post. And I keep doing research and keep learning new things and just you know, a few weeks ago, posted a blog post about how dense breast tissue has been added as a risk factor for breast cancer patients. This is new information, and the doctors are just starting. It's like a wave rippling out, and they're just starting to realize that if women have 
dense breast tissue, number one, like me, three mammograms can miss it. And number two, it does make you more likely to get breast cancer. It doesn't mean you will get it, but it makes you, you know, it gives you a risk factor. And so women need to go to their, uh, when they go for their mammogram and they need to ask their radiologist, do I have dense breast? And how dense are those breasts? Because they might need to demand another test that's going to catch breast cancer early rather than me where three missed it. So this is a new thing and, and new things keep coming out every day with all kinds of cancers and people need to be aware of that. And they need to realize, as I learned in the book, that our body's accumulating toxins and my body was highly accumulating toxins and that was helping to drive that cancer that I had no risk factors for. So I did get to the bottom of several things that were causing my cancer so I could change it so that this risk of my cancer coming back is not as high as it normally would be. It's not that I can be guaranteed. I'm not promised tomorrow. No cancer patient that's been through what I've been through is promised tomorrow, but I can certainly make my chances better. Thank you. You've given us so much to think about and many resources. They're all going to be in the post-show notes and people can tap in. I I hope that they contact you, that they pick up your books, and we're looking forward to hearing more as we sign up for your blog posts as well. Thank you again, Jenny, for being on Never Ever Give Up Hope. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.